Welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. I'm Maverick Willett, and I've helped thousands of divorcees and single moms get snatched waist, jaw-dropping booties, and confidence that captivates the attention of men in every room, all without dieting, cutting carbs, giving up wine night, or starving yourself. What's up, y'all? Hope everybody's doing better than me. (laughs) Man, been rough, been rough, been real rough, been the roughest period of my life, but we learn from pain. We learn from loss. We learn from mistakes. We learn from hardship. You know, you can't order growth without a side of discomfort, you know, without a side of pain. And so I've been asking myself a lot of questions. And one of the predominant questions, and I talked about this with our clients today on our group call, brought me to tears, but several times, what do you live for? You know, I was listening to a podcast recently. By the way, this this episode, I'm going to give a ton of value on fat loss, just so you know. If you're tuning in for some fat loss hacks, I got you. I'm going to give you a ton of value there. But before we get into that, because the biggest theme of today was, you know, what do you live for? And I tied that into, you know, getting body results. Because, man, if you think about it, there's a lot of good coaching programs out there. There's And, and they, they all have... They all, if you do what they say, you will get results, right? But think about that statement. If I do what they say, I'll get results. Yes, right? Which entails following some kind of instruction or blueprint or, or something, right? But what keeps the results? What helps you keep progressing for the rest of your life? And it comes down to what you are living for. And if you want to know what you're living for, just look and see where your focus goes every day. Pretty, pretty evident what we're living for when we look at what our focus goes to. And that answer to what we're living for might not be the answer that, that you know, the, the answer to what we're living for may not be what we want to hear. It may not be pretty. It may not be what we want to look at, but it's truth. Now, it may hurt to understand where our focus is going, equating to what we're living for, but it's also a huge opportunity to cultivate focus in the areas that will bring us closer to where we want to be in our life. And so that's how I'm choosing to look at myself. That's how I encourage you to look at the reality you want to cultivate. Because the way I've, what I've been living for, not that, you know, this isn't to beat myself up or to like shame or to, you know, say that I'm messed up or, you know, broken. But the things I've been living for aren't necessarily like, they don't bring wholeness. And so what are those things? Well, you know, Success, attention, validation, adequacy. Please, someone tell me I'm good enough, which comes from childhood. You know, it's what I've been programmed to think I'm supposed to live for. And it's not necessarily the truth of what I want to live for. And I'm still figuring out what the fuck I want to live for. You know, I know what I love to do, I know what I love in my life. I, I, I would, I both. I both live and would die for my son. That's number one. Number one, man. And so if we look at that, it's okay, you live for him. What does that mean? Well, it means I need to be the best father I possibly can be. That doesn't mean a perfect father, but it means exemplify the life that I want him to live. It means in other areas of my life, what do I need to cultivate skills in? Well, relationships, number one. I need better skills in relationships. I need to be able to demonstrate functional conflict in front of him. I need to be able to demonstrate 
integration and, and, and wholeness, you know, not codependency and emotional enmeshment with another person. I need to demonstrate that we are worthy without anyone. Not to say, you know, we're better off alone or that we don't thrive in relationship or community, but because we do as humans, I believe. But we're also okay and worthy and adequate just how we are. You know, I have to demonstrate that. I have to soothe the inner child that I have so that I can better show up for him in his times of dysregulation or misbehavior. And, you know, I share this, I get transparent, I get, I get vulnerable because I know inherently that the struggles that I go through and the pain that I experience, I know that I can, I can obviously change the trajectory of my life, but also share this so that you can strive to cultivate the reality that you want for yourself. We get locked into patterns and we never get out if we're not willing to take ownership of, of the pattern and of the behavior. And then look in and say, and, and really define what our values are and what the life that we want to cultivate. And we ask ourselves, what do I live for? You know, what do I live for? And so I'm still trying to figure that out. We're all just trying to figure it out. We're all just souls in a human body having a human experience. And, you know, I'm very human, very, very human. And, you know, it's time I start loving myself and the parts of me that I've, I've despised historically, you know, little boy Maverick that got bullied and, and got made to feel like he's weird and not good enough, not adequate. You know, he shows up in, in times of duress, survival mode, right? Or teenage shaved head Maverick that argued with his mom and just wanted, to, wanted approval from his dad, make his dad proud and other father figures like coaches and, you know, just couldn't quite fit in, didn't understand why. So he acted out, acted a class clown, acted a fool to try to get attention. You know, that Maverick, just hold him, just hold those two Mavericks and give them love. And you have a part of yourself that I'm willing to bet you, know, you shun or you scold or you can't stand to be with. It's deplorable, unlovable, you know? Because thinking those parts of me were deplorable led to me hiding those parts of myself in relationship. And I've gotten a lot better about it. I'm much more transparent in relationship than I used to be. I used to just be a walking facade. Now I'm willing to at least reveal those parts of myself. Now the challenge becomes how quickly I reveal those parts of myself because you can, we can oscillate. You know, I was like, oh, well, that didn't work. Not being transparent at all didn't work. Therefore, I'll be unrelentingly transparent way too early, you know, and just dive headfirst into a relationship, give the keys of the castle and just, you know, before the relationship has had time to mature. And my mentor, you know, he, he put it very eloquently. Well, he just pretty simply, he was like, there's a reason why they don't rent cars to people under 25 because they haven't had time to mature to make wise decisions. And uh, relationships are no different. You know, they need time to be able to mature and handle conflict, handle storms, handle decisions. So that's what I'm working towards, you know. I need a lot of time to cultivate that wholeness. So I'm not beginning relationship from a place of, you know, I'm not good enough unless, right? So anyway, that is, I say all this to say there's a lot of, there's a lot of alignment with, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, correlation, I should say, with trying to get body results because so much of that sometimes comes from I'm not good enough unless I weigh a certain thing or I'm not good enough because I have this cellulite or this neck fat or whatever it is, right? I can't accept this part of me, you know? 
And as we cultivate more love and acceptance for those parts, body transformation ironically gets a lot easier because we're not doing it from a place of I'm not enough. We're doing it from a place of, you know, I love myself and therefore I pour into myself for health. They're not mutually exclusive, right? You can't, it's not like you, you can't work towards health and love your body. You can do both. You can, you can have, in fact, the, the two are synonymous, right? If you think about it, it's, well, making your body healthier is self-love. It's the highest form of self-love. We don't want to diet to get there. We don't want to starve or fast or you know, do extreme shit to get there. Because again, that comes from a place of rushing, which assumes that you know, it's, it's from a place of lack from a place of scarcity, from a place of I'm not good unless I lose this weight. And the harder but better answer, harder, harder short-term, better long-term answer is how do I cultivate values that bring this reality that I want, that attract it, that change my body and make the results stick forever. So I'm never in this place again. So that's the hard part. And that is what, although there's, you know, and that go back, goes back to my original point, that's why when you think about all the programs out there, yeah, a lot of them have a good blueprint for you, but how many of them are addressing this? How many of them want you to win, not just a year from now, but 10 years from now? That's what we do in our program. This isn't to sell you. I'm just being completely honest. Like, we don't give a fuck about your... I mean, we... Okay, let me rephrase that. We, we care that you get a before after in a year, year and a half. That's great. If you get a before after, you look, you look phenomenally different than you did a year ago. That means you have crushed some shit. You have absolutely crushed it. But the real flex is that after photo lasting 10, 20 years and improving. And that's what we want. We want women to get results, keep results, and live a life that makes those results a byproduct. Not the result of a diet. You know, like using a meal plan or diet to, to drop 20 quick pounds like a one-night stand. It feels great in the moment, lots of dopamine, but there is some consequences after. You just don't see them yet. So that is my, that is my heart-to-heart before I get into the episode. Today's episode is about several things. I'm going to start with personal trainers and why paying for a personal trainer is generally a shit investment. Now, this is not to say personal trainers are useless. I'm not saying that. If you're a personal trainer, I'm not saying what you do isn't valuable. But the return on investment for changing your life and changing your body long-term for a per- with, with investing for a personal trainer is nonsensical. And here's why. The average price for a per session for a personal trainer is between 50 and 60 bucks. Okay? So let's do some quick math here, right? 50 and 60 bucks per session. And we're also going to lowball it. I'm going to underestimate everything purposely. But if you do, we'll just say 50. We'll lowball everything. 50 bucks twice a week. That's 100 bucks a week. Okay. And let's say you stick with them for a year. And let's exclude holidays. Let's, there's 52 weeks in a year. So let's say that you, you know, every week you go 40 weeks. It means 12 weeks you didn't go, right? So 40 times 100, you know what that is? 4,000. You stick with them for three years. That's twelve thousand. Now, again, we're under we're underballing it here, purposely. But twelve thousand dollars in three years invested in a personal trainer. Now, I also want you to think about when you invest in a personal trainer. Do they give you a timeline to see results? 
Is everything being tracked? Are you meeting with them outside of the gym? And are you cultivating a lifestyle outside of exercise that is going to be congruent with the goals that you have for your body? Have they given you a timeline from A to B? These are things you need to think about because if we look at how we burn calories every day, let's just make it real simple. 5%, around 5% on average of your daily calories burned come from exercise. Why is that? Because how long is an exercise session? Between 30 minutes, maybe two hours on the very high end, okay? There's 24 hours in a day, right? So let's just say, again, you go twice a week. That's about two hours a week, okay? That's two hours a week. How many hours are you awake? Well, generally, let's just say that you're awake from 10 to 10, 12 hours a day, right? Most of you are awake longer than that. Let's say 14 hours a day. Realistically, everyone gets what? Eight hours of sleep. So let's just say that. Eight hours of sleep, you're awake 16 hours a day, okay? 16 hours a day, that's 112 hours a week. You think two hours out of 112 are going to make a dent in your results long-term? Let's say it's three hours. You think three hours a week out of 112 are going to make a dent in your results long-term? Starting to see what I'm saying in a time perspective. Now, let's also say, let's just also say that, I mean, let's look at the, the, the other ways you burn calories. This is assuming your goal is weight loss and body transfer. Okay, body transformation is not just weight loss. Let me just, you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, you already know that body transformation is not just weight loss. That is one phase. You have to both lose body fat and you have to also build muscle and you can't do those at the same time. You, that's like putting, one requires a surplus, one requires a deficit. It's like having a, your foot on the gas and brake at the same time, right? So knowing that, you have to do this shit in phases. If you, let's just say that you happen to be successful and you're in a caloric deficit whilst working with this personal trainer by some, by the grace of God or Allah or um, what are other God, Buddha, whoever, you happen to be in a caloric deficit whilst spending two to three hours a week with this personal trainer. Okay. What now? Because the building phase is the hardest phase, the most difficult phase. It's the most intricate phase. And it's the phase where you have to benefit from your training. Do they have you in a progressive overload type of format? Are they, are they tracking everything? Your, your weights lifted, your reps performed, your sets, your total amount of sets. Is there, is there some kind of method behind their madness? Are they tracking your progress in these lifts? Now, this is assuming you're doing all the other things needed to gain muscle tissue, which is hitting a protein goal, hitting a calorie goal day after day, being consistent with it, right? So when we factor all this in and we look at what you spend on a personal trainer who addresses 5% or less of the equation here, it's nonsensical. It is a nonsensical investment. Leverage technology, get someone online, learn how to... I mean, if you want to go for a few sessions to learn the basic exercises, fine. But most gyms are going to rope you into a minimum commitment of six months to a year. And I, I just... Knowing what we can do with clients online... You're better off just, you know, think about this. Here's another analogy for you. Investing in a personal trainer is like investing in a college class and leaving that class with no degree. That's what that's like because you haven't actually gained skills 
to get you towards the visual result you want because 90% of the visual result you want hinges on what you do outside of the gym. Now, again, this is not to like shit on personal trainers. This is to, number one, help you realize where your investment of time and energy and money should be going. And number two, help personal trainers realize they need to be doing more than just doing exercising with you for an hour a day. I used to get, I've been a personal trainer. I was a personal trainer for years. And my biggest frustration was that as good as I am, getting people results online, in person, I, I could barely make a dent because I could, I was, I'm very good at training people. That's actually, I'm, I'm very adept at that. But if they went home and ate trash, that hour we just spent together where they crushed their, their self, like, didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. It didn't make a bit of difference because everything hinges on your nutrition and lifestyle habits, everything. And all of that hinges on the stuff I talked about at the beginning of this, of this podcast, cultivating your values. If you go to a personal trainer, but, it, but eating protein, having a high step count, and averaging a caloric goal is not a value to you, none of those are values to you, you are wasting your motherfucking time. Period. All right. I just want to drive that home about personal trainers. Now I want to dive into some questions I'm asked on Instagram and I want to dive into them in depth. I want to give as much value as I possibly can on this episode. So I'm just going to pull up my Instagram here and look at questions I was asked. Okay, here we go. What about stopping to eat early in the evening? Okay, so this person's asking, am I affected if I eat? Like, do I gain, do I gain extra fat if I eat before bed? Remember, y'all, your progress with your weight loss hinges solely on your total caloric intake for the day and then multiple days and then multiple weeks. That is what determines your weight loss or gain. It doesn't matter if you eat the majority of your calories right before bed or the majority of your calories right when you get up or everything in between. How much total do you eat? That's what matters. You don't magically gain extra body fat if you eat all of 90% of your calories right before bed. You could fall asleep with a Snickers bar in your mouth. doesn't matter. If you are under your calories, like if it takes 1,800 calories to maintain your weight, and by the time your head hits the pillow, you're at 1,799, you are in a caloric deficit. Now, ideally, if you know a caloric deficit would be like 200 calories under maintenance, so it would be 1,600 in that case, but you don't have to hit 1,600 on the dot every day either. You just need to average less than 1,800. That means you can go over 1,800 some days. As long as you average less than 1,800, you're fine. You will lose weight. Meaning, over the course of a week, if some days you eat over 1,800 and some days you eat under 1,800, as long as that by the end of those seven days, your average is less than 1,800, you will lose weight over time. Now, the more you're under 1,800, the, the quicker your results will be. But that is not to say that you eat way less than 1,800 to speed up your results because weight loss is not about just losing weight. It's about losing body fat and, and maintaining your muscle tissue. Because if you lose muscle, this is my biggest problem with the GLP-1 receptor agonists like semaglutide, ozempic, Munjaro, et cetera. If you lose muscle in the pursuit of losing weight, you are fucking yourself up long-term because it's, if you lose skeletal muscle, you're at, you're at a higher risk for all-cause morbidity or all-cause all mortality, I should say, osteoporosis. It, it, skeletal, loss of skeletal muscle is the main reason for people people's metabolism slowing down as, as they age. That's like the number one reason outside of some hormone, uh, hormonal aspects, especially for women in menopause. 
loss of skeletal muscle is the number one cause. So it's not the object isn't to lose as fast as you can. It's to, it's to eat as much as you can while still losing. So you still fuel your body because that's what calories are. They're fuel and they're nutrients. So if you take away too many, you're not going to be able to fuel the thing that's going to maintain your muscle, which is your workouts. You're going to feel like shit. And, and you're going to... Event, metabolic adaptation is going to happen faster because your body's, oh shit, you're barely eating. I'm going to burn less calories to compensate. It's called metabolic adaptation. It's not called starvation mode. That doesn't exist. That's something that only Americans could invent. The most entitled country in the world. We invent something like starvation mode where we say, oh, my body isn't getting enough fuel, so it's storing fat. Tell people in Auschwitz that. Tell people in third world countries that who are rail thin. Doesn't exist. You don't, you don't hold on to fat from not eating enough. That's not a fucking thing. I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> I realized on my last episode, I, seen, I sounded really angry. And in truth, I was. What well, has nothing to do with you all. <laughs> it's my personal life. But I just want to drive that home. I'm not being mean here. I'm being very direct. Don't mistake my directness for... Uh, don't mistake my passion for, for meanness. Don't, don't mistake my directness for meanness. I'm not trying to be mean or blunt. I'm trying to shake you all away because it's not about learning more. Contrary to popular belief, you all don't need more information. You need to unlearn the bullshit. You need to unlearn the misinformation, the programming, the beliefs that you have that are holding you back, the beliefs that are your Achilles heels. You need to unlearn those. They're, they're standing in your way and they have you petrified of making any decision because you're so confused. So it's not about getting more information. That's only going to confuse you more, really. It's about unlearning the bullshit, keeping you from taking action. And that's what I'm here to do, y'all. I'm here to get you out of the indecision into taking action so you can get momentum. I'm not a, I know you're not a fan of boot camp workouts. Can you explain why they're not ideal? Great question. I'm not against boot camp workouts entirely. Just like in general, I'm not against them. Here's, what, here's why I have a problem with them long-term. They're a great way to get your foot in the door. Things like Orange Theory, things like group classes. They're a great way for people who are intimidated by the gym to start moving around, using your body, lifting some weights here and there, and get used to that. Get your foot in the door. I recommend you stay in that class for no more than three months. And while you're in that class, you start gently getting yourself in the gym and working out by yourself or with some, you know, with a friend, asking people in the gym to show you how to do certain exercises. It's a great way to learn like some, some really beginner level stuff. But here's why I have an issue with it long term. It is impossible to work with someone one-on-one and give them actual tools for progression in a group setting. You can't. It's a group setting. Everyone's doing the same thing. Most people are lifting the same weight. The availability of weight is very low. The competency of the teacher to give you one-on-one advice with body mechanics and mobility, very low. It's, it's like the army, right? Like it's, Everybody's doing push-ups. The drill sergeant is going to come around and be like, hey, so I thought you, know, you might want to tuck in your elbows a little bit. No, everybody's just getting yelled at and doing push-ups. Boot camps are, I mean, yeah, group classes and boot camps and stuff aren't the army, but the concept of one-on-one lacking is still there. You need to learn how to do things on, a, on, a, on an individual basis. And eventually, if you want to see more progress, you're going to have to challenge yourself with more weight. Good luck lifting heavy weight in a group class. They don't want you injured. They don't want that liability. And so the, the weight is limited. And therefore, your ability to challenge yourself has a ceiling on it. So you need to be able to get yourself out of the intimidation factor of the gym or get weights at your home 
and then challenge yourself with heavier and heavier weights. I'm not saying you weights so heavy you can't stand it. I'm saying weights that challenge you like in the 10, 12-ish rep range, like you're failing at rep 10 or 11. That's the range you need to be in. And it's really hard to do that in a group class. Just because you're holding weights in your hand and moving around and sweating doesn't mean you're going to get the results that you're there to get. The 90% of you all following me want to see visual change in your body. And that entails lifting heavier and heavier weight and weight that challenges you. Now, again, this doesn't make you a bodybuilder. It doesn't make you bulky, right? That shit doesn't exist unless you take steroids. Are any of you planning on taking steroids? Yeah, I didn't think so. Those are, that's a hormonal change. That's not a muscular, musculature change. The women on the CrossFit games, all using performance-enhancing drugs. They get busted all the time. Hate to break it to you, right? You're not going to look like that unless you use performance-enhancing drugs and you lift some heavy fucking weight, way heavier than you're ever going to lift, okay? I'm just being real with you. So point being, I have no issue with group classes in the beginning because it gets your, it gets your feet wet, gets your foot in the door, get, you know, dip your toe in, whatever analogy you want to think of here, but it gets you started, gets you moving. Great. Give yourself 90 days and then get your ass in the gym lifting some weights so you can actually see progress. Your progress is very limited in a group setting. That's my issue with it. Moving on. Is there a macro percentage you recommend? So the, here's the thing. There, there's no, do not, I recommend, do not try to hit a macro percentage. I think that is dumb. I used to think, now in your, in your defense, you're not dumb. I've done it. <laughs> I thought it was what you're supposed to do years ago. But the thing is, carbs and fats don't make a fucking difference in your results. The only factors that matter with fat loss are your total caloric intake and your total protein intake. You look at any study, you look at anything, it's always protein and calories equated. There's no difference between low carb, high fat, high, uh, low fat, high carb. Zero difference. And so what that means is, first of all, like, feel a, let loose a sigh of relief because you don't have to be perfect with your macros. You just need to make eating more protein a value and you need to, eat, eat, you need to make eating nutrient-dense food a value so that you're more likely to not overeat your calories. And carbs and fats can fall where they may. If we're just talking, y'all see how I look. I'm not saying I look perfect by any means, but I never track carbs and fats. Never have. Now, your, your next response might be, well, you're a man with high testosterone. And yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm also very lean and I maintain a lean physique here around. Our clients, who are you, <laughs> do the exact same shit I do. That blow your mind? That blows a lot of people's minds. Our clients do the same shit I do. And that's why they get results. Not because I'm doing some super secret thing. It's because I just employ the simple concepts that get results. And those are eat enough protein, average a calorie goal, lift some fucking weights, and keep your step count high. Now, granted, I have lean genetics, so I don't have to do the step count part. I stay lean without it. But most people need to create an energy deficit for fat loss. I don't need to lose body fat. If you need to lose body fat, you need to create an energy deficit. And a step, high step count is a great way to do that. It's a great lever you can pull. It's indicative of your overall lifestyle, which again goes back to what do you do outside the gym? Biggest lever you can pull right there. doesn't matter how hard you work out. If you go home and eat and lay around like a banana slug, very unlikely to get results because you're very unlikely. You're much less likely to be in an energy deficit if you're sedentary. So aside from creating body results, it's just healthy for you long-term. My, my grandmother is 91 years old, y'all. 
And the number one thing she's done her whole life is go on long walks. She has been consistent with walking her entire life. And she is a spry 91 years old. And I can't help but think that walking has a lot to do with it. Anecdotal. I know it's anecdotal, but it's true. And walking is a huge indicator of longevity. But going back to macros, don't worry about it. If you're trying to figure out what your calorie goal should be, first of all, there's no perfect formula. You can Google, you can research, you're just going to confuse yourself more. Just do something. Because no matter what you do, you have to track your calories long enough. You have to pick something and stick with it long enough to establish a baseline response. Based on what your weight does over the course of four to six weeks, not one week, but four to six weeks, whichever way it trends, that determines where you should go with your calories. So let's just say you use my, let's just say you use mine. Super simple, right? Goal weight times 12. I got that from Jordan Syatt, by the way. I didn't, I didn't come up with that. He didn't come up with that. That shit's been around forever. It's not some new super secret way. Goal weight times 12. It just fucking works. So do it. So take your goal weight. If that goal weight is 160, for example, right? Let's just say you want to, I'm just throwing numbers out there. Say you want to weigh 160. 160 times 12 is 1920. So 1920 is your calorie goal. Let's say that you eat 1920, you average 1920. I'm always going to say that. Average a range of 1920. That means your actual goal is between, let's say, 1800 and 2000. Okay. Just give yourself that range. If, you, if your calorie goal is around 1900, then just say 1800 to 2000. Okay. Or 1750 to 2050, even. Give yourself an even bigger range there. As long as you average within that range, you're going to lose weight. Let's just say that you do that and you average that range. And then four to six weeks in, your weight is up three pounds. Okay. That doesn't mean you failed. You just won. You know why you won? Because you just figured out that that calorie goal is a little bit too high. So you reduce that. You reduce that to, let's say, 1750, right? Go like 150 to 200 calories less. And I guarantee you, now you found it because now your weight's going to start trending the other direction. So the worst case scenario of getting the quote unquote wrong calorie goal is that you gained a couple pounds. And I guarantee that's probably not body fat, especially in four to six weeks. It takes longer than that. Provided your step count is high, provided your protein intake is high, you're very unlikely to gain body fat, right? But you won't, make, you won't come to this conclusion or have this data until you just fucking pick something and stick with it. Don't worry about the perfect macro ratio. Don't worry about the perfect calorie calculation. There exists no perfect approach. It's just the one that you do get data from and then make a decision based on that data. But until you get that data, you can't do shit. And it comes from taking action. You will not just get motivated out of nowhere. You take action, you get results, you get motivated from those results, and then you take more action. That's how this shit works. So don't get caught up in this analysis paralysis of which calorie, which calorie calculation, right? Get out of that. And now that you've heard this, if you... St- keep acting like you're confused, then you want to stay confused because it's comfortable for you. It's your, it's your safety bubble. It's your bubble wrap castle. Staying confused is where you're safe because you don't have to do anything as long as you're confused because now you've heard the real answer. And again, I'm not being mean. This is just your wake-up call because I, I want you to win. And so many people that we work with, I'm not basing this on some kind of disdain for women. I'm basing this on working with thousands of women who are, the only reason they're stuck is because they're so damn confused and afraid to do anything. And it's because of all the misinformation out there and all the bullshit on social media and all the influencers confusing you every day. So this is your tunnel vision. This is your clarity. 
This is me getting you out of analysis paralysis so that you can finally get to a healthy place with yourself. So calculate your calorie goal. If you want a protein goal, you can either aim for 100 grams or take goal weight times 0.7. Either one works. Neither one's better than the other. You have to establish awareness of where you're at now anyway in order to make progress. So track your protein now. See how much you're eating on a daily basis over the course of a week or two weeks. And then work your way up from there regardless of what your goal is. Again, it comes back to you have to track and see where you're at in order to make a new decision because you need the data. So if you, if you track your protein for two weeks and you're averaging like 40 grams of protein a day, awesome. Huge opportunity now because now you're like, okay, 40 grams a day. Cool. I'm going to aim for 50 now. Boom. Now you're eating 50. What's next? Okay, now I'm eating 50. I'm going to try for 60 now. Boom. Extra protein shake, extra serving of steak, whatever it is, extra bit of fish, extra Greek yogurt, whatever. Slightly higher serving of chicken, slightly higher serving of shrimp. Whatever your protein source is, you just eat a little bit more of it. And now you're at 70 grams. And now you're at 80 grams. You know how monumental that will be for you? If you go from averaging 40 grams of protein a day to 80 grams of protein a day, you're already down 10 pounds. Because protein has the highest thermic effect of food. So you burn more calories digesting it. It's also satiating. So if you eat more protein, you double your protein intake, you're going to eat way less calories overall because you'll be too full to overeat. You'll be too full to have cravings. You'll be too full to eat you know, right before bed. Right? Hope I drove that home for y'all. All right, next question. Uh, hmm, there's some good ones on here. What would I use cables at the gym for? Essentially the same as dumbbells and machines? It's a great question because it gives us an opportunity to talk about what's most effective in terms of exercise at the gym. Dumbbells and barbells, always the most effective. Always. Why? Because gravity is consistent no matter where you go. Let's just say that you depend solely on machines and you get real used to using those machines. You're like, man, I love this chest machine. I love this shoulder machine. I love this leg press machine. Awesome. What happens when you travel? What happens when someone's using that machine? What happens when you no longer have that machine available to you? and you have not cultivated a way to use your body just using gravity. So that's why I say master the foundational movements using weights, using body weight, using weights, utilizing gravity. Because gravity never changes. You can do it anywhere. You can do it in a hotel. You can do it at your home. You can do it at the gym. Learn how to squat. Learn how to bench press. Learn how to shoulder press. Learn how to row. Learn how to deadlift. Learn how to do pull downs, which is using cables. I know. Learn how to... Do all these foundational movements, modified push-ups, lunges, split squats, stuff like that. Because you can do those anywhere. You can do those anywhere. And they're so scalable. Gosh, they're so scalable. Which means you can progressively add more and more to make it challenging. It's, it's, it's very easy to alter those exercises, to modify them according to injuries, and also make them progressively more difficult so you get progressively more change. Right? They're harder. Of course, it's harder. But once you master them, man, you've got a skill that will best investment you'll ever make in your life because it will keep you from ever being overweight again. No shit. Most people need to focus on getting stronger before they focus on weight loss because weight loss will be a byproduct of getting stronger. There's a, there's a mind hack for you. I'm not saying machines are useless. You can use machines and they have their merit. Like you can still work against resistance using machines. The problem is they're not built for everybody. 
They're built for a very mean, average type of you know height and 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 build. I mean, shit. I mean, I'm out of luck when I use machines. I'm six five. Ain't no machine built for me unless it's huge. Same thing for short folks. Your legs are hanging off the ground. The hell are you going to do if your legs are hanging off the ground? You know. So it's just better to master free weights. It can be intimidating because there's some big old greasy dudes over there. But guess what? Those big old greasy dudes are just big old insecure greasy dudes like me. And if you go up and you ask them for help, they would love to help you. You know why? Because you've just stroked their ego. If you go up to a dude in the gym and you're like, hey, can you show me how to do this? Oh my God. In that moment, you have now, you have now positioned him as the expert. Knowingly or not, you have now positioned him as the expert. And he's, oh my gosh, she's asking me for help. That obviously means I look like I know what I'm doing. And his ego has just been stroked. Oh my goodness, I just got asked for help. Clearly, it's because I look like an expert. He just made his day. And I guarantee you, he'll be happy to help you. And if he's not, fuck him. Ask someone else. Obviously, And I'm just saying dudes because they're way more intimidating, typically. Obviously, you can ask women as well. Women are typically uh, uh, like overjoyed to help other women. Every woman I've ever talked to who I asked this question, didn't matter what kind of shape she was in, she could have been a freaking Olympian athlete. If you go up and ask them, hey, can you help me learn how to do this? Am I doing this right? Can you just watch me and make sure I'm doing this right? You just made an investment in yourself that will pay off for the rest of your life because they're going to make sure you're doing it right and not wasting your fucking time. Now you've made a friend too. Bonus. Next question. After, no, that's, not, that's a weird one. There are dumb questions, y'all. I just don't. Whenever I'm answering, I get a fuck ton of questions on Instagram. And my determining factor of whether or not I answer a question on my Q&A is, will this be valuable to others? That's it. Will it, will it, will it benefit others for me to answer this question? Uh, okay, this is a good one. I'm finally getting serious. Do I need a food scale? Do I think that everyone should use a food scale and weigh and measure their food forever? Absolutely not. That is not what a food scale is for. A food scale is a tool to gain awareness. A food scale is not something you take to a restaurant or the barbecue and look like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> a food scale is something you use in your home to understand what a portion size looks like. It's to gain awareness of your eating, which is an invaluable skill. It's an invaluable skill. Once you're aware of how much a portion size looks like and you, and you see how much different it is from what you've been eating, that light bulb will benefit you for the rest of your life. That is what a food scale is for. It, it, obviously, it guarantees progress because you're, you're guaranteeing the amount of food that you're eating and it makes it very trackable, right? But it's not something that is intended to be used for the rest of your life. It's just not, that's not how it works. That's not healthy or sustainable. You can, there's some people that do, but they're trying to cultivate a very specific result, like competitors, right? Like short term. Any competitor will tell you, like a healthy one, mentally, and I don't, uh, you'd be far, you'd be hard pressed to find a healthy mentally, a mentally healthy competitor because it's just not a mentally healthy sport. Talking physique competitors here. But they use a food scale when they're prepping because it guarantees that the amount that they're tracking is accurate. And we have people in our program use them as a tool to do the same thing so that you, we can guarantee a result. But it's not intended to be used even the duration of our program. We get people off food scales towards the end. Or towards, not towards the end, because who knows when the end is. But typically, clients stay in our program for one to three years um, to streamline their progress and, and instill the values that behoove them for the next 10 to 20. But 
the food scale is not intended to be used the whole time. It's used in the beginning to cultivate that awareness. The awareness is the most important piece. So do I think you need a food scale? If you want to guarantee progress, yes. If you want to gain tools of awareness, yes. If you want to get a, gain an intuitive eye for portion sizes and how much you should be eating of each type of food, yes. But do not use it the rest of your life. That's insane. It's always there for you to use as a tool. If you need to guarantee your progress, it's there, but it's not something that's part of a healthy lifestyle, in my opinion. Realist answer you're going to get. Let's see here. There's some, there's some questions like best exercise for inner thigh area. I mean, squats. Anytime your stance is wider, you're going to hit those inner, those inner things. But we're building muscle tissue. So if you have fat there, then you need to burn body fat, which means, or not, I'm sorry, not burn body fat, lose body fat. Burning body fat means you're using, it, using dietary fat as fuel. We conflate those terms all the time. They're not interchangeable though. Like burning fat means you're using fat as fuel, just like you would use carbs as fuel. It's very common. It's, what, it's just a normal thing. Losing body fat means you're reducing the amount of body fat on your body because you're in an energy deficit. Your body doesn't have enough material to, hold to, to create more body fat or muscle tissue. So it gets rid of body fat. It oxidizes fat. There's, that's a very simple way of explaining fat oxidation, but... Anyway, back to the question. If you have fat in the area, you need to lose body fat. And that means you need a caloric deficit, walk a lot, strength train, eat high protein. If you want to gain muscle tissue in an area, then you're going to have to eat in a caloric surplus and hit your protein goal and lift in a progressive overload manner. And after you've accrued muscle tissue in that area, do one final body fat reduction phase. And these, this goes back to the phases that I have described in our program. I've described them in depth, I think, on this podcast. And that's how we do things. It's the most effective way to do it because you can't, you can't lose body fat and gain muscle tissue at the same time effectively unless you're using steroids or you're super overweight or you are extremely new to the gym. That's the only time that you can both lose body fat and gain muscle tissue. And even then, it's very little. And you can get stronger in a caloric deficit, but strength doesn't always equate to muscle tissue development, right? It, it, it has a high correlation, but if you're in a deficit, your body's not really concerned with building muscle tissue. It's concerned with recovery survival first. So I get into, I get into that a lot more. In a, I have a YouTube video on it. So check that out. I have multiple podcast episodes on it, but we, we, we guide women with that because it's so fucking hard to do phase two. Losing body fat is relatively, comparatively easy to building muscle tissue. That's the hard part. You got to be real methodical about it because you're in a caloric surplus. And so if you're in a surplus, you have excess material for your body to use if you're not moving a lot and you're not strength training, it's just going to go to body fat. And that's where most people fuck it up. That's where we help women streamline their progress there. If you enjoyed this episode, shoot me a DM and say this word. Uh, say, <laughs> shit, what do you say? Say ESV is the bomb. Say ESV is the bomb. That way, I know you listen to this episode, and I'll give you a little something special. No, I'm not gonna send you a, I'm not gonna send you a a, a calendar um, where I'm wearing a, a Santa hat and a speedo. Sorry, sorry. Maybe next Christmas, um, but I will give you something special, whether it's some apparel or, um, you know, we'll think of something. But shoot me. I need to know who listens to this and gets value from it. So shoot me a message. ESV is the bomb. I'll give you a freebie, an ebook something to help you out and, and, and help you get, get results for free. That's what I'm all about. I want my free shit to be better than anybody's paid shit. That's what I do this for. Love you all. Hope you got value from this. And hey.
hey, we're all just trying to figure it out. Appreciate you listening. Thanks, y'all. If you liked what you heard on this episode, ladies, share it with your friends. And if you want to finally escape dieting culture and get body results that make your ex wish he never mistreated you, check out the link for the Revenge Body Metabolic Revamp. You can find that in the show notes. And remember, ladies, you are powerful.